Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Ria Mehta, and this week, Sarah Cho, Iniga Kozistani, and I spoke with Lisa K. Solomon, educator, best-selling author, designer in residence at Stanford University's Institute for Design, and creator of Vote by Design, an innovative curriculum and set of workshops to help teens reflect on the personal qualities and political values that are most important to the United States when it comes to electing leaders. We think you'll be fascinated and inspired by the approach just as we are. Thank you for joining us. Hi, my name is Inika Kodestane and I'm a sophomore from New Jersey. I'm especially interested in journalism and how politics plays into youth activism. Hi, I'm Ria Mehta. I'm a senior um, in high school in central New Jersey, and I'm interested in like bipartisan discourse and foreign policy. Hi, my name is Sarah Cho. I'm a current senior at the Spence School. I'm really interested in policy surrounding criminal justice and immigration, uh, as well as our current state of hyperpartisanship. Hello, I'm Lisa K. Solomon, and I'm currently a designer in residence at the Stanford D School, also known as the Hasso Plattner Institute for Design. And I teach classes on futures and design that help empower all students to feel like they can navigate increasingly uncertain times. At the Stanford D School, we teach experiential classes that help students feel agency and a sense of um, uh, just a process that allows them to navigate increasing amounts of uncertainty and complexity. We have a lot of freedom in how we teach classes. Uh, one of the ways that we try to experiment with our own approach is to allow for these pop-up classes that are not without credit, they can be a variety of formats, and during the summer, a couple colleagues of mine were brainstorming about different kinds of learning experiences that would allow students to navigate ambiguity, find clarity from complexity, learn from others, learn how to communicate deliberately, and come on the other side of that feeling like they had more ownership over their point of view. And we thought, what better way to practice that than against the upcoming presidential election? A time that is sure to be filled with more chaos, more partisanship, more division, uh, in many ways more isolation, leaving many voters to feel disassociated from their foundational voice, that is the ability to vote in this democracy. And so an idea was born to create a class called Vote by Design, really exploring what could design offer the process of thinking about who we wanted to vote for, for the highest position of leadership in our country. And when you say vote by design, what has been like the result of that in terms of how students now interact differently with each other? And, um, you know, how have you navigated like discussion, seeing as we're more defined by like our political party than we are by other traits at this moment in time? Rhea, I'm so glad you asked that question because in many ways, it's the work I'm most proud of in teaching and writing for the last 20 years because it is transformative for voters who don't really know how to navigate this process. I think to your, your point of it being very partisan right now, in many ways we're talking past each other and we don't even know what we're talking about because we're just using the same buzzwords that were given to us and not really pausing to say, what are we actually voting for? When we think about a president, first of all, what is a president? 
as the job description states in Article 2 of the Constitution? And what does that mean in the context of today? So we're trying to create clarity for people. Uh, we've run it now over a half a dozen times with hundreds of participants. I collect feedback cards at the end of them that says, I used to think dot, 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 and now I think dot, 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 and the kinds of responses I'm getting are extraordinary. I used to think that leadership didn't really matter as long as you shared the policies that I care about. And now I think leadership is essential in understanding who will be in the office. I used to think I was not qualified to make the decision of who I should vote for. And now I think I have an informed approach of how I'm gonna do research and engage. I used to think empathy didn't matter in the president. And now I understand a president must make decisions for all of us. So when I hear comments like that, and I have stacks of them, I get very excited that if we create a scaffold for people that's outside of all the noise coming at us, it can be very empowering. Um, yeah, you were talking about your uh, class, I guess, that um, kind of uses the designing your president approach, right? And I was just wondering if you could go a little bit more in depth about what a sort of class would look like and how it's really framed. The first thing we do is, and this is true of almost all the classes that we have at the D School, they're very experiential. They're not lecture. Everything is, is very um, active. It's project-based. And so we start the class off right away, and we ask people to answer a few foundational questions. For example, uh, and this is particularly true, I think, for new voters that are so excited to cast their citizen responsibility for the first time. And we say, in thinking about the upcoming presidential election, are you voting primarily based on policy or primarily based on personality and leadership qualities? And we ask people right. on policy to stand up just to foster conversation. And I should say from the very beginning, this is nonpartisan. It's very much meant to be a learning experience that actually creates connections within our community, not building more distance. And we're very, very focused on that throughout. We want people to feel safe and we want everyone to feel welcome who's a part of it. So after we probe if they're interested in personality or policy and we ask what kind of policies just to get a flavor, we then ask, do you have clarity on what the job is? And what's been so interesting, particularly for high school students, and I've worked with AP civics and AP history, and I ask, stand up if you know what the president's job is, nobody stands up. It's extraordinary. Now I know <laughs> if I tested them, on the facts of a president, they could, they could recite it. But in thinking about it as a voter, it's a different lens. And then the third thing I ask is, as you think about coming uh, up for where you make, who you might cast your vote for, do you have clarity on the characteristics and experiences that matter to you? So all this is just to get them in the headspace to say, hey, am I even thinking about this? We then quickly move to unpacking the job to be done. So going back to again, if we believe that this is the highest leadership position in the land, let's go to the job description. And we review at a very high level, the seven core responsibilities of a president, commander in chief, appoints judges, uh, either approved or vetoes legislation, uh, is the sort of global representative of the United States, can exercise pardons, those kinds of things, very high level. And then we talk about, well, what are then the requirements of the president. Turns out they have to just sort of update the State of the Union from time to time. It's like very loose. Uh, you have to be 35, you have to be a natural born citizen, and you have to have lived in the United States for 14 years. That's it. So for already people are like, wow, I did not realize it might be harder to get a job 
at the Starbucks down the road than it is to maybe consider running for president, right? So that's interesting to sort of think about that. Because when you're making a choice, I think it's fair to say, how do you know how to prioritize what you care about if you don't even know what the expectations are of the job? And I think many, many voting citizens haven't had the kind of education that you and your audience may have had and think still, oh, a president makes laws. A president does this. So it's an opportunity to dig back into some core civics. From then, once we've established the job to be done, we give them time to individually reflect on, given that job, what past experience do you think qualifies someone? What leadership qualities are you looking for? And what personal attributes matter to you? And I want to stress that this is, again, not about right or wrong, but about reflection, about getting into a slower thinking mode about individual priorities versus quickly being reactive to what's, what's coming at us. So that's really part one. Part one is let's establish the job to be done and let's get into a more deliberative mode of what we care about. We then test that by showing debate clips of both Republican candidates and Democratic candidates to just see how they respond once they've done that priming about how they hear the messages. And that's fascinating for people to take a moment to say, wow, I really responded, for example, to the charismatic candidate, but I didn't put charisma on the thing I cared about. Or I really said it mattered to me that we had a young president under 55, but I find myself really rooting for someone older. Not right or wrong, just about exposing assumptions. And I will say that one of my colleagues who helped create this is a neuroscientist, and we're very, very focused on how do we understand our invisible biases when it comes to what we actually respond to. And we have these debate worksheets. And this is what gets me excited too, because you can do this at home. We're gonna have lots of big debates coming our way. And all of this I see as practice, right? Practice to be better citizens, practice to be more informed voters. So yes, we have a timely event coming up that is generating a lot of urgency, but this is a skill that we will need to practice our entire citizen lives. So then part two is we say, okay, it's time for you to have a small conversation with your neighbors to expose what your priorities were and hear and learn from them what theirs were, to see what the differences are and what the overlaps are. And so we do that by giving them a chance to share with, with each other about which areas they selected and then to come back and say, okay, wow, you know, I, I picked something else. And at the end of that, we ask them to make some compromises with each other. We say, okay, time to hone in. What are the two key leadership qualities you care about? What are the two key experiences? And then my favorite question is, as a result of this president's experience and leadership qualities, I hope the country is blank. And what we're trying to do is to bridge difference, even if it exists, to say, you know what? We probably have more in common than we actually realize. And what I will say in running this with a number of different audiences, not just students, is that it's very telling that the majority of people that I work with say things like, I really hope the country is more unified. I hope the country is more inclusive. I hope the country is safe. I hope the country is healed. So it's very interesting to see that there is some work to do, even just to kind of get to that point. So, okay, so they come up with essentially a composite president in that conversation. And then this is like my favorite part. Then we say, okay, we're gonna fast forward to a year from now. It's October, 2021, and your president was elected. Congratulations. You've now been called into the situation room in order to respond to an unfolding crisis. 
And so what we do is we give them an envelope. They have to work in their group and what they pull out is a memo that has come from their security advisors updating them on a situation that has occurred. When we wrote this in August, and I can share with you the original scenario, it was of a pandemic of a flu-like virus that originated in China. And so what we do is there's about five or six different scenarios right now, one about the hacking of the election, one about a water infrastructure. And the point is to, in many ways, rehearse a future that's not just possible, it's kind of plausible. And then we ask them and we say, embodying the qualities that you've identified that you care about, we want you to make a two minute press briefing to the American public embodying those leadership elements. So if you said you cared about empathy, you wanted a clear communicator, we want you to think about how that would come across. And we actually give them some press briefing guidelines. So we give them a chance to flesh out what actions might they have taken, who they need to consider. And then we invite them to come up in front of the room with a full on like White House podium, you know, uh, uh, detail. And we ask them to give a two minute speech. And I can tell you, it has been extraordinary. When students see other students of all genders and backgrounds embodying that leadership moment, rehearsing the future, it's transformative. And that's, I think, what has been the most powerful part because now once you've rehearsed the future, you're taking in information differently. I can promise you that everyone that has gone through this before the coronavirus has exploded to be what it is, is hearing the press briefings differently. They are thinking about the leadership qualities that matter differently. And that's what we want. I think we want an informed electorate that's not just voting on who has the most money or even who's electable. And I know that that's a hot topic. I think we really need to be thinking about this in terms of who is gonna best shepherd our future. Our last uh, episode was about Super Tuesday and basically how we thought that it was interesting. There was a conversation surrounding who was electable as sort of a criteria to be met as a, a possible candidate. So it's great that you bring that up. And I think it's a very relevant issue, especially with the recent outbreak, like as you were talking about, there's definitely a lot of issues that need to be considered with this upcoming election. Um, and I just personally had a question because I know that civics education isn't really a priority in our current education system. And recently, actually for my school, our civic engagement conference uh, was canceled because of the outbreak. And it's actually the one day that we have these conversations surrounding like our duty, our civic duty as citizens. And I was wondering, you know, for the people who might not have access to these kind of classes, is there anything that you think our listeners could um, either like look at or, you know, consider, or do you think is a kind of main takeaway point that you think our leaders, our listeners should um, hear, I guess, through this podcast? It's such a great question, and I agree with you. I actually wrote a, a, um, a blog post, and I'll send this to you as well, almost two years ago, sort of noticing that civics education has been gutted uh, for the most part. And yet, you know, in many ways, we need to be more informed than ever. And so I was, I was advocating for, for uh, rebooting Schoolhouse Rock, which is, I don't know if you have all seen that, but when I was growing up, these were these like very, very fun um, 
you know, uh, musical uh, animated videos. And, you know, again, if you talk to someone my age, they will tell you that they know how laws are made from I'm just a bill. And um, so, Hill. You recite that whole song. Yeah. So I've been advocating that we need to get like, you know, Lin-Manuel uh, Lin Miranda to like step it up. Or even honestly, if you look at, if you re-listen to the ones that already exist, they're still on point. Uh, there's one, for example, about Tyrannosaurus debt and why it matters if we're not fiscally responsible. Anyway, um, I, I agree. It's um, one of the things I'm really proud about this process anyway, is that because of the way we designed it to be so engaging and experiential, we're not coming to it waving our civics education flag, although I believe that that's a phenomenal outcome from it. You know, we're coming to it from the standpoint of an opportunity that all voters have to, um, to help shape our future. And so hopefully it's not an abstract concept of civics matter, but it's a personal concept around what an opportunity you have. Um, and so we've tried to, to make everything uh, as frictionless as possible and as engaging as possible to get them into the space. One of the things we do is that we hope it opens up their interest into going deeper. So we have at the end of workshops opportunities to do more reading, to do more listening. And I'll just give you an example of that in developing this, I stumbled upon a phenomenal podcast called Presidential, done by Lillian Cunningham of the Washington Post, where in uh, prep for the 2016 election, she went into detail of every single one of the past presidents to try to understand who were they as people, how did they get to this position, what were the choices that they made because of who they were when faced with uncertainty and when faced with novel situations. And she interviews historians and presidential biographers and even asked questions like, hey, if you were to go on a blind date with Thomas Jefferson, what would that be like? And so she really makes it fun and engaging. And we've been in conversations about getting her support on this project. And so, you know, my humble hope is that, gosh, you know, if somebody listens to even one, you know, they'll find it so fascinating. And, uh, and we actually bring this into the workshop too. This has been a newer development where we, where we take that worksheet of what people care about and we use it as a prompt to, to look at our past, to say, you know, let's take a look at Abraham Lincoln, you know, almost universally um, applauded as one of the best presidents we've ever had, dealt with as, you know, hard to believe, a more divisive time than we are in now, but we are literally in war. What allowed him to be able to help get the country through that? Well, it's interesting. It's, it, it certainly wasn't his past experience from a resume perspective. He was self-taught. He was in the legislature, state legislator, a one-time congressperson, but he really was not that impressive, you know, particularly compared to other Rhodes Scholar type uh, Harvard-educated presidents. What made him extraordinary was his incredible leadership capacity for empathy, his ambition to put the union of the country above everything else, his ability to build relationships with different people, to bring them into the cabinet so he had diverse perspectives informing his point of view, his unbelievable ability to be an oral communicator building off of metaphor from the Bible and from Aesop's fables because that's the only books he had as a kid. So it's interesting to sort of take a look at our past with um, some of these tools to get us more informed about what enabled past presidents to be successful in order to help inform our current and future presidents. Are there ways that schools with civics programs or even students that want to start their own civics programs can sort of work with Vote by Design or base their own pro programs off Vote by Design in order to 
gain that sort of expertise and that sort of dynamic that they need? Okay, so one of the things that we are doing now, now that we've run it with um, several hundred people, including, by the way, 16-year-olds. So I just ran it in three sophomore classes. And one question I had was, would this still be relevant to them? You know what? They blew it out of the park. They were unbelievable. And again, my hope is that this is a touch point to a long future of thinking about yourself as an informed voter. Um, and so now what we are really focused on doing, accelerated by the need that we are not gathering anymore, as you said, like Sarah earlier, the one time that we get to gather, I recognize that gatherings are not happening at the precise moment where we need to have conversations together. We are working like crazy to make everything available online. And that means all of the materials, all of the slides, all of the facilitator guides um, too, for free, so this will, this will not be a charge. And one of the things that I'd love to work with the next gen audience and certainly all of you as leaders of that is to have an office hours to actually help train you and how you might bring this to your classrooms um, and how to really think about making sure that it presents itself as nonpartisan, as inclusive. Because in addition to this being, I think, a civics Trojan horse of, of excitement and engagement, I also believe it's a community building opportunity. When we learn how to learn from others, it just strengthens the community and builds resilience. So I would love to work with you um, after this podcast. Maybe we can set up an office hours specifically for those people that are interested and we can give you an opportunity to really bring this to your local communities. When I see the structure of what open discourse that you created, I wonder how that can be extended to other spheres because that's not the structure that's in place for pretty much a lot of the ways that young people get involved in politics. I found my passion of politics through debate and through Molly Wynn. Have you given any thought to how you can bring about change to the structures that are so ingrained in many of these other extracurricular activities? I would like to think that those wonderful activities that you're involved with, Model UN and debate, yes, it's wonderful to get a trophy. But to me, the real outcome is that you, you learn how to go after problems that don't have simple, knowable answers. That you build confidence that if everything isn't totally scripted, that you'll still be able to move forward, right? That you'll, you'll know how to, how to navigate the things that you didn't prepare for. And that to me is the life goal because that's what, what the future will require. And, and I think if we think about where are the opportunities to practice skills of navigating ambiguity, to practice skills of what does it mean to have a position so strongly held and have a good friend that has another position so strongly held and you have to figure out how might you approach each other with curiosity and humility versus I, I have to be right and if I'm right, that means you lose. This is like life practice. And I think it's a function of education more broadly that we're not doing enough to promote practice of the skills that we're actually going to need in an environment filled with more complexity and uncertainty versus a curriculum that has knowable answers and multiple choice, right or wrong, that ultimately lead to some kind of external reward. So I'll say that as a just point of view. Uh, for what it's worth from a, from a focus group of one <laughs> that uh, spends a lot of time thinking about this. Um, I think there is a huge opportunity to partner um, with other groups that are touching either civics or history or debate or some of these skills 
in interesting ways. And in addition to working hopefully with you all to empower you to bring this to your schools, I'm also talking to presidential libraries. I'm talking to iCivics, which is one of the largest gathering of civics material for, for educators. Um, I'm talking to public libraries. I've got a conversation with someone in the Memphis public library system who really cares about civic engagement. Uh, and another fabulous group called Citizen University that brings people together for civic seminary. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity to partner with groups that are already interested and have started a discourse um, in some of these areas that are about life, you know, that are about out of the neat structures that in many ways we, we, we end up believing exist because of where we've spent a lot of our formative time. That we can't get better at the things we don't practice. None of us were born learning how to do this. And just because the environment is, te is teasing up um, kind of sound bites that, that are dividing us apart, we can practice the skills that will bring us closer together. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics. <laughs>